Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this gorgeous day. Thank you for uh, an opportunity to come together from all parts of this area and worship you. And to know that it wasn't our idea. It was your idea. You ordained worship. And your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. So even as we, we sing and we worship and we pray and we listen, you're inhabiting our praises. It's a promise that we can stand on. Lord, I thank you for each person here. I know you have brought them here from, from who knows where, from what circumstances, so that they might connect with you today. Holy Spirit, come. Come in all your power. Show me, show them how we may connect, how we may be a part of your team here at Renovation Vineyard Church and throughout the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we finish up today the series on uh, knowing right from wrong. Uh, Last week, I was not able to do the message, and I want to thank Jay. I know Jay's wife's here, so you can take this back for him. Um, I want to thank Jay for hopping in Saturday afternoon uh, when I called him and wasn't able to be here uh, and, and doing the message for you last week. It's good to have Jay and Andy and Joel and Jeff, all, all Jays. If, if you want to be on the team, you have to have a Jay. Uh, good to have all those guys here as, as backup. We are looking at what the Bible has to say about the way we live our lives. And there's three questions I told you that we were going to look at over three weeks, three sessions. The first was, what's your authority? What's your standard for what's right and what's wrong? We, we talked about three things could be your standard. One would be... Uh, external things, the people around you, Hollywood, uh, TV, newspapers, media, those things could be your standard. You believe and listen and believe to them. The second would be an internal standard, internal authority, the voices in our heads. I'm not the only one that has those voices, I'm sure. Voices in our heads or the impressions that we have about doing things. Uh, we do it because that's how we've done it before. Or my neighbor did it that way, so it must be okay for me too. Or my neighbor did it that way, and I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. Internal uh, standards. And the third was eternal standards. Eternal standards. Uh, that would be the Bible. The Bible. It says God's Word... Uh, is the only authority throughout e all of eternity. And in 1 Peter 1.25, we read this, The grass withers and the flower, flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Forever. His word stands forever. It's eternal. We can trust it. Second question was, what does the Bible say then about what's right and what's wrong? And we looked last week at three different 
uh, books in the Bible. The first was Genesis, and we understand that Genesis tells us the why we know right from wrong. We have a perfect place that was created by a perfect creator, and it became messed up. And we talked about how that happened, the why of knowing right from wrong. Secondly, Proverbs tells us the value of knowing right from wrong. We looked at about six different Proverbs that uh, just undergird this idea of the Bible, God's Word, God speaking to us, is our authority. There's no other authority. And then Romans tells us our responsibility for knowing right from wrong. It's, you know, it's not really my responsibility for you to know right and wrong. It's your responsibility. God gave us minds. He gave us hearts. He gave us uh, compassion and souls and, and love. We can determine what is right and wrong by looking at God's Word. So powerful. We have a responsibility then to tell other people. We can't keep it to ourselves. We have to share it with other people. And today we're going to look at how do you learn what's right from what's wrong? How do you learn what's right from what's wrong? We're going to look at Hebrews because Hebrews tells us how to learn, how we learn what's right and what's wrong. The first verse we have is Hebrews 5:14 from the Living Bible and it says, you will never be able to eat solid spiritual food and understand the deeper things of God's Word until you become better Christians and learn right from wrong by practicing doing right. So, how do you learn to do things? How do you learn to do things? Think back to when you were a student driver. How did you learn to drive a car? Well, we had classroom, right? We were in the classrooms. We learned all this stuff that was so boring. And then we had to get behind the wheel and drive the car. We had to do it. That's how we learn. And if you're, uh, you're going to learn, for example, right from wrong, how would you do that? You could go to a Bible study and study about it. You could have a debate with somebody about right and wrong. You could go to a philosophy class. Oh, they're great, aren't they? Talk and talk and talk and talk about what's right and wrong. No, none of those things work. If you're going to learn to do what's right, the Bible says you have to do it. That's what that verse that we just looked at says. Have to do it. You have to practice. And God says, just like Nike, just do it. Do it. Do it. And you see, God is the one who empowers us to be able to do it. We have to ask him for his strength. We have to ask him for his power. We have to let him empower us with the ability to do the right thing. Can't do it by ourselves. And then you go out and do what's right as opposed to what's wrong. Hebrews 5.13, which is the verse right before the one I read, if you have your Bibles, you can look at it. But it just says when, when a person is still living on milk, it shows that he isn't very far along in his Christian walk. He doesn't know the difference, maybe, between right and wrong. Not in every aspect. 
He's still, we would say, a baby Christian. And it's okay to be a baby for a season, isn't it? But if that baby doesn't grow, we're going to say something's wrong with that baby. If you don't grow as a, Christ, as a Christ follower, then we might say something's wrong with your relationship with God. It's okay to be a baby, to act like a baby, to make some mistakes. That's going to happen. As a new believer particularly, if you're new to this concept of Christianity, of being a Christ follower, of going to church... You're going to make some mistakes, and, and that's okay. I know some other places where that isn't okay. I could tell you at Renovation Church, that's okay, because we're all in this together, and we have all made, I've probably made worse mistakes than any of you out there. But if, if you've been a Christian for 5 or 10 or 15 years, and you're still at that baby stage of not knowing what's right and what's wrong, you need to pull this book out. Get into it, read it, ask people about it, and find out what God says about the way I should live my life. And that doesn't mean, of course, that every decision is going to be an easy decision, but the decisions about right and wrong, they're going to come pretty easy, pretty quickly for you, because God's Word is pretty clear about what is right. Listen, it, it, it's not your job, and it's not my job, to decide whether this book is right or wrong. It's our job to obey this book. My job isn't to say, hey, God, you know that passage? You know that one. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think I'd like to change one word, just one word, and I, I could be okay with it. But right now, I can't go with it. My job is to do what he says in this book. And when I do what he says, guess what? I find out I can trust him. I can trust him more than I can even trust myself. And you know what else? It takes a lot of humility to follow God. We like to think that we're right, don't we? Or I should say, I like to think that I'm right. But it takes real, genuine humility to let God's Word become real in our lives. And once you start to let His Word become real in your life, how are you going to respond to what's right and what's wrong? Well, if you pick up the Bible and you start to read through it, as some of you are doing, we talked about a reading plan for this year. The Bible has a lot to say in every book about relationships. It has a lot to say about how you relate to people, people who are doing wrong, people who are doing right, and how you relate to God, who wants to help you do right in all circumstances instead of making mistakes. So let me give you four goals this morning as we... Um, Finish up the series on doing right and wrong. Excuse me just a second. It's a Marco Rubio moment. <clears throat> 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 
four things that as Christ followers, you and I are to be in the world. Four roles, if you will, that we're to play in the world. And the first is this, you are to be a prophet to society. Now, society is kind of a, a strange word to have there. I needed an S word because all of these are going to be P and S. Uh, a prophet to society. And by society here, I mean those people around us, all the people around us. Be a prophet to those people around us. There is a six-word phrase that's found 168 times throughout the Bible. Same six words together. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. In the Old T Testament, many times God would come to a, uh, a prophet and say, this is what I want you to say to them. Jeremiah, Amos, all the other prophets would listen to him and would go out to those around them, to society, and say, this is what God says. Listen to it. He came to Isaiah, and he said, this is what you're supposed to say to the people. And Isaiah would go out to all those around him, society, and say, this is what God says. At Renovation Vineyard Church, we believe that what the Bible says, God says. He speaks to us through this book. It's a living conversation with him. It's alive. It's powerful. It tells you right from wrong. I can look into the Bible and say to anyone, here's what God says on the subject. Sometimes we need to have that role with the people around us, the role of saying to somebody, hey, here's what God says about this. Our society as a whole needs a prophetic voice. That might be you. And prophets, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a word that you're, you're, you're thinking of maybe a different connotation. A lot of people misunderstand the word prophet, what it really means. Most people, most people that I talk to who tell me that they're a prophet... They're really just wearing underwear that's three sizes too small. <laughs> Sometimes they're even mean-spirited, the kind of people who always want to tell you what you need to do, what's right, what's wrong. That's not the Bible's idea of a prophet. Prophets don't have to be mean-spirited. They don't have to yell and shout. So how do you speak for God. Once again, you point to this book right here. Here's what God says. This is what the Lord says to me and to you. You need to be able to stand up and say the gen with genu genuine respect and love, this is the truth, this is the standard, this is the authority. And you also need to be able to do something else. The second thing, you need to be a priest to sinners. See the P.S.? Priest to sinners. A priest in the New Testament sense of the word. The New Testament of the Bible says that we're, we're all priests. 
before God. Every one of us. We all have the opportunity to do what a priest does. The word priest, by the way, literally, literally it means bridge builder. Think of that. A bridge builder. It has the idea that you've got God on this side, you've got man on this side, and there's a huge gap in between. And we call this gap sin. We call it sin. I don't have to build that bridge between God and man. You see, in a day when politicians are talking about building a bridge to the future, building a bridge to the past, uh, building a bridge to nowhere, we have, we have a responsibility to help people build a bridge to God. That's our responsibility. All of us here, not, not my responsibility alone, all of us here to help build that bridge between man and God. Actually, actually the bridge has already been built. Jesus Christ is the bridge. He's that bridge between God and man. So here's the question. How can I be both a prophet and a priest? They seem to be in conflict. Someone who stands for the truth and yet loves people who are involved in sin. And I've found that most people are not good at both. They excel in one area or another area. All we need, all of us need to get better at doing this. I don't care who you are, what uh, your interaction with people is, you need to get better. We need to hone our skills. We need to just do it. So how can I do both of these things? Because the world out there, society, the people around you need both. It's possible to have so much prophecy in us, so much truth-telling in us, that we push people away from the kingdom of God. I grew up in a church where it was fire and brimstone preaching. If you don't do this, you're going to hell. If you don't do this, you're going to hell. I mean, I thought there was no, nothing that I could do. I, it seemed like everything he mentioned I had done or I was thinking about doing. So how do we find the balance? The balance is in the motivation behind telling the truth. The motivation behind sharing what God has to say to his people. That God alone can forgive them and will forgive them. Love is the motivation for both. For being a prophet and being a priest. In fact, in fact, love is the only motivation. Sometimes our churches don't have very loving people in them. Strange churches. Churches filled with selfish people. Selfish people who say, I want what I want. I want this kind of music. I want that message. It's too long. It's too short. I don't like the temperature. Can't you change the temperature in here? Half of you would be hot. Half of you would be cold. 
I don't know how we ever uh, make that right. And I want it when I want it. Give it to me right now. Let me show you an example of a church like that. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you <laughs> arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guy, right? Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. Financially, <laughs> Carrie and I don't give a lot to the church, but we sure like to know who does. <laughs> All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. <laughs> Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right. You join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. Now, some of you laugh like you may have experienced that someplace or other where there's an assigned seat and you can't sit in my seat this has been my seat for 25 years who do you think you are selfish people who only care about themselves if you don't love people who don't know Jesus you know I'm gonna sit in the church I'm gonna prop up my feet I'm gonna be really comfortable and dare not serve in any capacity at all and selfishly I'm gonna wait for Jesus to return sadly there's too many people like that why do you why would you put up with the hassle that you have to if you don't really love people if you don't love people you're not going to go through the pain that it takes to talk about how Jesus can forgive them in all of their struggles in life. The tears that go along with that, the sleepless nights, the long hours of waiting, the knowing that they could come to Jesus, but they haven't done it yet. It's been so long. And praying for them day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. You wouldn't do all that if you didn't love people. Love's got to be the motivation. And when you let the motivation be love, you know what? You can tell people the truth, and they will receive it. Whether they're Muslim, whether they're atheist, agnostic, or Baptist. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Just wanted to see if you were there. When, when you let the motivation be love, you tell them the truth, and, and they, they will accept it. They want to listen to what you say. They believe you. They trust you. But there's a caution in this. And the caution is to be a prophet and a priest means that you're going to be misunderstood. 
Just know that you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be persecuted. And the only motivation for doing that is love. Love is our relationship to society, to the people around us. And there's another relationship that goes here. You need to be a partner to saints. A partner to saints. We're a prophet to society, a priest to sinners, and a partner to saints. Saints, people who are Christ followers. People who are believers. That's what I mean by saints. Galatians 6.1 says, If someone in your group does something wrong, you who are spiritual should go to that person and gently help make him right again. I want you to circle the word go there. The word go. That's the second hardest thing to do. To go to people that you know are struggling with sin in their lives and to say, hey, I'd like to help you. And it's never going to be easy, I can tell you. But that's the choice you make when you really love people. That's the second hardest thing to do. Here's the first hardest thing to do. Circle the word gently. Gently. When I finally get up some nerve to go to somebody who's struggling in their life and then actually go, a lot of times it's difficult to be gentle about it. You want to be gentle, but it comes out like, what in the world are you doing? That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Gentleness means recognizing that I have the same struggles that you have. That's gentleness. And except for God's grace and strength, I could be caught up in the same thing you're caught up in. That's gentleness. Go with great gentleness. That's what the ending verse in that chapter, in that uh, scripture says. Be careful because you might be tempted to sin too. You just might sin too if you're not careful. And some of you are sitting there thinking that with some sins, I never have to worry because I'd never be tempted by that. Alcohol, drugs, embezzlement. Gambling, porn. I'd never be tempted by any of those things. But understand that we can be tempted in any area. Any area. One of the hard things to accept about yourself is to realize that even though you know Christ and He's, he's in your life and you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you can still be tempted by anything. It's so easy. So in every area of your life, you have to keep depending on God constantly, constantly. And that brings us to number four. Realize that you, you too, are a person in need of God. You also are a person 
in need of God. Philippians 1.10 says, I want you always to see clearly the difference between right and wrong and to be inwardly clean. No one being able to criticize you from now on until our Lord returns. You know, that's what Paul says to the people who are growing in their faith in Philippi, the book, the letter to the Philippians. And the key is, as you strive to be a prophet to the society, a, a priest to sinners, a partner to saints, the key is you never forget your own need for God's grace. We all need it. The minute you do, the minute you forget it, you're in big trouble. Each one of us. One of the main goals that I have for Renovation Church, had since the beginning, is not knowledge. You understand? Not knowledge. It's purity. It's not knowing more about God. It's knowing God, who He is. Now, I want you to be inwardly clean from the, from the shame and the guilt of past mistakes. Some of the bad moral choices that, that you've made in the past. I want you to sense God's forgiving grace. I want you, I want us to be inwardly clean from the desire to sin in the present time. That overwhelming desire that will come upon each of us in our lives. To have God's purity come into our lives in such a way that, that we can feel like, you know what, He's cleaned me from the inside out. That's my desire for each one of us. And as we leave today, I want to give you a couple of practical things that you can do. Some of you are way overachievers, so don't try to do all four of these things. Just pick one and do the one thing that sticks out to you as we go through this list. The first is, where do I need to take a stand for the truth? Where do I need to take a stand for the truth? This is what the Lord says as you talk to one of your friends, as you talk to a co-worker, as you talk to a person that is a non-Christian. This is what the Lord says. Number two, to whom, and I'm, I'm talking about somebody who's caught up in sin, to, to whom can I show the forgiving and restoring power of Jesus? To whom can I show that? Demonstrate it. Number three, what believer, what Christian, what Christ follower needs my help in their struggle with sin? Remember, though, go gently. Go gently. Ask God to reveal to you who the person is that he wants you to go to, that he wants you to interact with, the person who you can help in their struggle with sin. And the last one, where do I need God to make me right with him right this very moment? 
Where is it? He's not through working with me. That's why we call this place renovation. It's never through. It's never through. So ask him, where do I need for you to come and make me right? Restore that relationship with you. Let's start with one of these. That would be a great place. Now maybe, I know a lot of you, but there's a lot of you here that I don't know. And maybe somebody here needs the forgiving, restoring power of Jesus in your life today. You've done that thing. You've thought that thought. And you need to be forgiven. You're going to have an opportunity here to talk to him about that, to ask for his forgiveness. Maybe some of you here, because we have a lot of folks that grew up in the church, grew up in the church, been in the church for 40 years, but never really committed to the church. Maybe today is the day that you can rededicate your life to Christ. And if you haven't already done that, today could be the day that you dedicate, you commit your life to Christ. As, uh, as Billy Graham says, the buses will wait for you. Just take your time. You need to think through this. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. We need everyone in this church to serve. God wants everyone in this church to serve Him in some way or another. We've all been given different gifts and different passions. Find out what your passion is and use it. I'm going to ask our team leaders here at Renovation to come up to the front. And they're just going to stand, I don't know, you can go around this way a little bit and around this way a little bit, maybe somebody in the back. I want them to come up and take one of these green cards and a pen when I call their names. I want you to see who the team leaders are, and then you can determine which team maybe you'd like more information about. The first one is kids ministry, Christy. You've seen Christy up here a number of times, Christy and Kathy with the kids. I know for a fact that in kids' ministry we need nursery workers. That's the only thing I can do in kids' ministry is the rocking the babies. You know, that's, that's kind of nice. But when I have to teach them, ugh. there are some of you that like to teach, that love kids. Christy would love to talk with you about that. Karen Elliott, where are you? Oh, there she is. Karen's at the information counter over here every week. She knows or is supposed to know <laughs> everything about everything that goes on here. If you'd like to be one of the people that helps greet and, and uh, confer with people that come to the info counter, Karen is the person for you to see. Linda Cheek. Linda's in charge of our communion. Everything about communion, Linda's responsible for. 
we're down to a few people serving communion. You notice the same people. Hey, and what gender are they? They're all women. It's a good thing we don't have a problem with women serving in ministry, isn't it? Or we wouldn't have any service. Linda would love to talk to you about being on the communion serving team. Cafe ministry. Jeremy. Jeremy? To serve back here in the, in the corner every week. To be a part of, you know, making sure that people are refreshed. That they have their cup of coffee so that they can uh, stay alert during the service. And Jeremy makes a pretty good cup of coffee. He and I both like it a little strong. Claudia, Claudia Beatty. You have seen Claudia at one of the two doors. Claudia is in charge of the guest services team. I mean, some of you call them greeters. They're, that's not what they are. They're the guest services team. They're the first impression that you're going to have of Renovation Church when you come here for the first time. Sometimes we have enough people on the team to have folks in the parking lot to actually greet you in the parking lot. But usually not. We'd love for you to join up with the guest services team. See Claudia right over here. Particularly, particularly if you're younger. We'd love to have some young faces there. Uh, John, John Wilson. Tech, the, the sound equipment, the video equipment. You don't have to know all this stuff, but if that's something you like to do, he can train you. Oh, and lights, too. Yes, we have to have lights. And, and uh, that is important. It, it's pretty dark in here. So see, John, if you're interested in that. Um, Eric, where are you? Eric's our music guy. We're not particularly looking for more people to sing. We're looking for more people to play instruments. Some of you... Some of you can play instruments and you haven't done it. Some of you can play instruments and you haven't done it in several years. Well, we'd love to have you come and try out with the band one night when they do uh, rehearsal. And Eric's your man to see right there. Uh, prayer. The ministry team that we have each week on the sides. That's Paula Wilson. No relation. Paula Wilson. Yeah, she's related to you. Yeah, that's okay. That's, that's allowed. But. And our prayer ministry team is one of the most important teams in the church, I think. They're all important, but this one really undergirds everything that we do here. They're the people that are trained. I mean, you don't just come up and pray with people. We wouldn't do that to you. We want you to feel comfortable praying with people. But they're the ones that, you know, are up here to kind of connect folks with God. To pray about any issue in your life, however large or small it might be. Uh, the Costa Rica team. Tanya, I'm going to ask you to go over to the info counter, if you would, because your sign-up sheet's over there. If some of you are interested, interested in the Costa Rica trip, see Tanya over at the info counter. 
after this past weekend, I may go to Costa Rica myself. All right. I'm going to turn you loose. I'm going to turn you loose right now and give you about five minutes to come and talk to one of these people up here. Ready? Set? Go. Go.